Well, I'm pleased to be back after my week away, a week on the Kent coast, beautiful weather. I had a wonderful time. And I'm back, of course, to the Red Zone in London. Isn't it amazing that I managed to make it to work? But I have to say, coming up through South London today, it reminded me of the pandemic. It reminded me of lockdown. Virtually nobody on the streets, very few cars on the road, parks deserted. I even saw a clip of Camber Sands Beach in East Sussex, which over the weekend had tens of thousands of people on it. And there was no one there because the government's scare programme has worked. And we're living in this age when the state wants to make all the big decisions for us. Personal responsibility is out of the window. Yes, I know it's hot, but it's a dry heat. And provided you wear a cap, use sunscreen, drink water. My view, people should be out enjoying the beautiful weather. I'll be joined by a meteorologist this evening who no doubt will disagree with me very strongly. But of course, the main point of tonight's talk and debate is I want to ask you, of these remaining Conservative candidates, who would you vote for? And I have to say... I thought Suella Braverman last week said some bright things, but it was obvious she wouldn't get very far. The one candidate prepared to say we should leave the ECHR. It's the only way we can get back control of our borders. And since then, I have to say, Kemi Badnock has really set this alight by actually being prepared to stand up and say she doesn't want our kids at school and university poisoned with critical race theory, being told that everything about this country and its past is something to be ashamed of. But I very much doubt she will make the last two. And I very much doubt now that Penny Morden is going to make the last two because she's been exposed as somebody who frankly isn't telling the truth. And hey, we just got rid of a prime minister because he couldn't tell the truth. So it's probably going to be Truss against Sunak. It's probably going to be the great globalist, the man who has family links and interests to businesses in China, who is happy to work hand in glove with all the big banks, who's helped raise our taxes to the highest in 70 years, against somebody who, and I can't blame her, for going on the CND marches. After all, she was a kid and her parents were hard left activists. But as an adult, she was a Liberal Democrat activist. She spoke at the Lib Dem conference. She wants, she wanted then at least, to abolish the monarchy. She voted Remain. She voted three times for Mrs May's dreadful deal. And yet suddenly the ERG and prominent Eurosceptics think she's the one. My guess right now, is that she will get through to the last two and she will win. I think the Conservative Party are making a dreadful mistake. I think it's Theresa May 2.0. Yes, she was a Remainer, but it'll be OK. It won't be OK, and I don't believe she can connect with the red wall. Well, Darren McCaffrey, it's been a busy day in Westminster. Before we get to the vote and the results, and you'll be here with me live at 8 o'clock for those results in this two-hour special. But before all of that, Boris Johnson has been having a bit more fun today, hasn't Indeed. he? Indeed. If you like your politics to be entertaining, it's been quite an entertaining day <laughs> in Parliament. Um, actually, enormously good fun in the sense that there's been this vote of confidence, very strange, in that Labour wanted to push it last week. The government said no, and then, lo and behold, the government decided to hold a vote of confidence in itself, uh, which is pretty unusual. Also a bit ridiculous in the sense it's not going to yeah. go anywhere. Conservative MPs are not going to vote for a general election. I'm not even entirely convinced the Labour Party want a general election. They're certainly not prepared uh, for one. But it's the theatre of politics. And we saw a very bullish 
uh, Prime Minister today, uh, talking clearly about his record within government, trying to defend the actions around the pandemic and his support for Kiev. I think at one stage he said he was more popular in the streets of Kiev than he was on the streets of Kensington, which probably is true. probably true. Yeah. Uh, and also clearly uh, getting Brexit done, as he would claim. And he took interventions from Jeremy Corbyn. He was clearly having quite a lot of fun. Was really, really interesting. In saying that, there was that sense of kind of, as you find with these things, the kind of, you know, he was enjoying himself, but the authority draining almost minute by minute with MPs knowing in that place across the water that in the end of the day, his days are now numbered. A bit like Margaret Thatcher in 1990. Perhaps yes. at her most relaxed in the House of Commons in her last ever speech. But you say, I'm enjoying this, yes, I'm enjoying this. And there was that sense with, with, with Boris yeah. uh, today. Interestingly, with the person sat next to Boris Johnson, of course, the Foreign Secretary, Liz Truss. I mean, talking about trying to send the most deliberate signal possible, she has repeatedly said throughout the weekend in those TV debates that she's been the one that's been loyal to Boris Johnson. She didn't resign. Though it must be noted, she, she didn't hold her hand up yesterday when asked whether the Prime Minister would serve in her, in her future cabinet. Uh, but, yes, she is essentially the tacit... I've got the tacit agreement of Downing Street in this leadership contest, undoubtedly. And Keir Starmer was quite punchy and bold again today. You know, I guess it's a pretty easy game of cricket in some ways for Keir Starmer in, on these occasions, repeatedly challenging all those Conservative MPs who were cheering on the Prime Minister, saying that only a matter of weeks ago you were writing letters. Days ago. Calling, yeah. calling for him to yeah. go yeah. because you frankly couldn't trust him. So it was great politics, yeah. it was great theatre, it was great parliamentary theatre. But ultimately, at the end of the day, when the vote comes at 10pm tonight, don't expect any great no, surprises. No, absolutely. On to the more serious business of the day. Of course, Conservative MPs voting. One person will get knocked out today, and that process will go through perhaps until Wednesday when we're left with the last two. Uh, tonight's TV debate cancelled. Mm. The TV debates were odd, though, really, weren't they? Because you sort of... There are three electorates here, aren't there? You've got Conservative MPs mm -hmm. who picked the last two... Conservative Party members, about 160,000, who pick who the Prime Minister will be and party leader from those two. And then the broader general public. I got the feeling with yeah. those debates, people were watching it thinking, but hang on. Why have I not got a say? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure it sort of helped politics very much. No, and it is interesting. I think this will be the first Prime Minister who's been elected solely by those 160,000 uh, Conservative members. Really fascinating uh, to a large degree, in terms of, you're right, the different kind of electorates involved in all of this, and the public don't have a say, but their public opinion has weighed heavily in all of this. Let's look at tonight, though. We're going to get the results in less than an hour's time, so yep. Graham Brady's going to announce it. Tom Tugendhat is almost certainly knocked out. He effectively admitted that this afternoon. He'll probably fall below the 30 uh, threshold, but he will finish last. I think the really interesting thing is to look at where Suella Braverman's votes go to. 27 of those. 27. Will they break primarily for Liz Truss? If they do... I agree with you. I think she'll almost certainly end up in the final two. If they don't, if they fracture a bit more, if some of them, quite a few of them, maybe go to bad knock, is there a path, a path, a possible path for her to get into the final two? I wouldn't rule it out. Unlikely, but I wouldn't mm. rule it out. And third of all, are we now seeing, or have we seen, peak penny? As in, did Morden's uh, kind of momentum kind of fizzle out at well, the end of last week? She didn't week? tell the truth. She's been caught out not yeah. telling the truth on trans rights and where she stood. Isn't that the case? Well, I mean, you know, there's clearly been evidence 
from the civil service over the weekend that completely disputes what she says. Now, her camp denies all of this, but frankly, she's in a very sticky position. Though there has been a concerted campaign to undermine Penny Morden uh, from her opponents, and it has been relatively effective. Yeah, and vicious in the press. It's been, it's been vicious and yeah. it's been effective. So I think the interesting thing is, has she stalled? Will the campaign stall? That's the, so I think the, 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 kind of the key thing here is, Rishi will probably remain in three figures. You know, among MPs, he is clearly the most popular. It's that battle for second place, mm. if you like, that really is absolutely fascinating. And yeah, that, that's the thing to really look out for tonight. And then we'll move into tomorrow and that kind of fourth round. And Tugendhat's obviously... And maybe by then says. deals start being done. Possible, possible. I mean, there was an awful pressure, wasn't there, from Lord Frost to try and get Badenoch to drop out at the end of last week to all unite behind Liz Truss. That clearly has not happened. And... I think for the Conservative Party, and this was expressed, wasn't it, today, with the cancellation of that Sky News debate tomorrow night, is that you know, this, is, this is not a pretty show mm. in many ways. This is showing real deep divisions, not just on policy, but also on personality too. You know, many people say the real winner, actually, thus far of this Conservative leadership candidate's <laughs> kind of contest has been Keir Starmer <laughs> rather than anyone within, within the Conservative Party. Darren, I'll see you in about 45 minutes' time. Thank you very much indeed. Now, some of the issues that have been raised during these debates have been around social issues, around, some people call it, culture wars. I don't think of it like that. I just think so much of the debate that we have in SW1, so much of what you see on the other news channels is, frankly, from a different world to where most people are whether it comes to trans rights, whether it comes to looking back at British history. And, and, and by the way, I wouldn't just say SW1 because many of our universities are responsible for spreading this poison, but it is a minority poison. Well, somebody who's done, I think, a very interesting piece of work on this is Professor Matt Goodwin, director of the Centre for UK Prosperity at the Legatum Institute and, of course, professor of politics at Canterbury University. Uh, welcome. Matthew, you've asked some questions in polling over this weekend, questions that nobody ever asks. Explain. Well, one of my frustrations with how we talk about the country is we often talk about it from a very London perspective, and we tend to think that many of the things that we talk about among the chattering classes are the things that animate most people, and actually that's really not the case. So I looked at a number of uh, policy positions over the last uh, week that have been associated with one of the leadership candidates, uh, Penny Mordaunt, and I just asked people, how do you really feel about these? So to give you one example, I asked them, do you think that we should refer to pregnant women as pregnant persons, mm -hmm. which is a very fashionable thing to say among some quarters. And I found that actually only 5% of the country <laughs> think we should do that. Most people actually do not want to view uh, uh, you know, that issue in that particular way. And on a whole host of other issues I'm sure we'll talk about, I found much the same. This really strong disconnect on these cultural questions. And to, to echo you, I think, I don't call these issues culture war issues because when you talk about women's rights and when you talk about freedom of speech, when you talk about how we teach our children in schools and universities, that's not a culture war. Those are issues that most people in the country want to talk about. How has Westminster become so disconnected then? 
I think partly it's about the way in which our institutions have become very skewed towards university graduates. And we know that if you look at politics, if you look at media, if you look at the creative industries, cultural institutions, they do lean very heavily towards uh, people with university degrees, often from Oxbridge, Russell Group institutions. And we know that those people tend to be much more liberal, uh, socially liberal, uh, typically than other voters. And we also know that over the last five years, a section of that group has become a little bit more radical than we might expect. Mm. So so-called radical progressives or woke uh, is the word that many people use. And on issues around um, history, uh, the idea that we should just, you know, look at uh, British history as being a bad thing, yeah, a source you are, of embarrassment. You asked the question um, on the empire, which I found fascinating. Yeah, we asked the question, we said, do you think that um, the British empire uh, is mainly uh, a legacy of destruction, has mainly left a legacy of destruction, which is often the, the argument you hear in many of the newspapers and so on. Uh, actually, only a minority of people really think that. Only about 22, 23% of people really share that view. And we also asked about television programs in the past. We asked about how do you feel about Dad's Army, which of course Penny Morden in her book has said um, essentially these are a source of shame, that they're sort of casually racist and oppressive. She's and, a conservative, um, is she? Also associated those programs with ideas like white privilege and things like that. And we said to people, well, do you think these programs are a source of embarrassment? And only 20% said they, they felt that way. For many people, of course, you know, these big television programs, you know, Dad's Army, yeah. Ain't Half Hot Mum, it's part of their collective memory. It's part of how they think about their British identity. And it's also something that brings us together. Of course, people tend to forget we used to only have four television channels. Mm. Millions mm. of people would sit around watching these programs. And so to simply say, well, this is the past and we want to erase it and forget about it like it doesn't matter to us anymore, actually, a lot of people don't feel that way. Uh, and you can see from the charts I've, I've put on Twitter today, uh, only a minority of people really view Britain through this lens. And when we get to the Red Wall, of course, these views are stronger, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, if you look at Red Wall voters, they are more culturally conservative. They're more traditionalist, um, typically, especially working class voters, people that, you know, have worked uh, from the age of 16, have gone through vocational programs, technical training and so on. And um, they tend to want to talk about immigration, want to talk about free speech. You know, they want to talk about um, really issues that matter to them and might not matter to, you know, Islington and, mm, um, mm. you know, uh, North London. So um, that disconnect, of course, is why Labour came unstuck with those voters. I don't need to tell your viewers that yeah. one of the big stories here is about a Labour Party that became really culturally disconnected from a large number of people. But now I bet you, I bet you that they're looking at these Conservative leadership candidates. Well, and they're probably thinking the, the same. Point? Isn't this the point? I mean, Kemi Badenoch has dared to talk about these issues that you're talking about, but is extremely unlikely to get through to the last two. When it comes to Sunak, when it comes to Morden, mm. and when it comes to Liz Truss, I mean, they're not going to talk about any of these things, are they? Well, as you say, I mean, I think Kemi has talked about some of them, but she's not got that profile. She's not, some would say, hasn't got that experience. But of course, you know, maybe we don't want experience in the this, in this sort of Westminster sense. Um, but at the same time, I think if you look at um, Liz Truss, if you look at um, Rishi Sunak, the sort of front runners, I think there is a strand of conservative thought that views these issues as below them, that says, actually, this culture stuff, it's not very respectable, it's not sort of establishment politics. But for many people out there, 
they do want to talk about yeah. what's happening in schools. They do want to talk about what's happening in media, in creative industries. They want to talk about why the films we produce, the television programs we produce, the adverts they see on television, the way in which we talk about the country and we talk about our history, don't actually reflect the country that they know and they love. So my message really to these leadership candidates I, is we need to get more voices into these institutions. We need to diversify these institutions and we need to make clear that, you know, the sort of 20 odd percent that dominate uh, in, in the country that dominate these institutions are going to have to start to make room for other people who have other beliefs, other backgrounds. And I think that's ultimately the only way we're going to get through this era of polarization that we're seeing in America and Britain mm. and elsewhere. Fascinating. Fascinating. Matthew, thank you very much indeed. Well, what a different take that was on diversity. I rather like that. And you know, when you rubbish, everything about this country's past, whether it's the empire, whether it's what we did in two world wars, whether it's the TV programmes that our parents and grandparents watched and enjoyed, and we perhaps, when we were young, watched and enjoyed. What you're really saying is that actually you're ashamed of those that went before you. That's actually what these messages are. And you know what? We're not. We're rather proud of those that went before. They were just different times and occasionally with different tastes. Now, talking of the Red Wall, I was going to go two weeks ago to Redcar. I didn't go because we thought a Boris Johnson resignation was imminent, which indeed it was. I will be in Redcar this Thursday with Farage at large, with a live audience. If you want to come along, please go to the GB News website. I'll be back with you in a couple of moments. Across England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. This is GB News. I asked you, who would you vote for if you were a Conservative Member of Parliament and had a chance tonight and over the course of the next couple of days? Your responses, Jack says, voted for Boris and still would. Jack, I think there is an element of buyer's remorse going on within the House of Commons at the moment. All I can say is he wasted the most fantastic opportunity. What a pity he couldn't just simply tell the truth. And whilst he did get some big things uh, right, it was the little things that he got wrong too many times. John says, this Tory leadership contest should be about what PM can win the next general election, which seems to be overlooked. John, I don't think Tory MPs are overlooking that for one moment. One viewer says, you'd be an excellent PM, Nigel, uh, but it would have to be Kemi. Yeah, well, they wouldn't let me into the contest, would they? We don't have open primaries. We're not America. We're not a free, open democracy. No, it's a club. And finally, for now, Matthew says, remarkable honesty, a common sense vision, no bluster, even though she's only been a minister in one role. My Conservative Party member vote goes to Ms Badenoch. Well, Matthew, I can tell you, I do know that the Conservative um, Association of Orpington met over the weekend uh, with a very big turnout, and 49% of those said they'd vote for Badenoch, and only 2% said they'd vote for Sunak. Now, let's talk about the weather, shall we? Because it's everywhere. The warnings are absolutely everywhere. As I mentioned earlier, I drove in through South London. It was like the first lockdown. Nobody on the streets, very few cars on the road, people not even out in the parks. And it seemed to me 
that whilst it's hot, it's a dry heat, it's not an unpleasant heat. Indeed, I worked in these temperatures when I went to Strasbourg every single July, and life seemed to carry on as normal. Quite why in a country that obsesses about climate change, we have tarmac melting at Luton Airport, is quite beyond me. It doesn't do that in the Middle East or elsewhere. So my view on it, common sense view on it, is I'm sick to death of being told it's going to snow, stay at home. There's an Atlantic storm coming, please stay at home. There is a risk to life and now with this heat wave. And whilst I accept it's exceptional, aren't we slightly overdoing it? Well, joining me is Professor Liz Bentley, a British meteorologist and chief executive of the Royal Meteorological Society. Liz, good evening. Welcome to the programme. I know these are exceptional temperatures, uh, but isn't the hysteria, isn't the fear that's being spread uh, by government and by meteorologists, isn't it just a little bit over the top? So I don't think so, because it is exceptional heat for us here in the UK. So temperatures today reach 38.1. That's very close to our all-time record of 38.7 recorded three years ago. And tomorrow we're going to go even higher. So temperatures forecast to be over 40 degrees tomorrow. We haven't seen temperatures like that in the UK. And as you said earlier, we haven't got the infrastructure here in the UK to, to deal with those temperatures. You know, average temperatures this time of year should be about 23, 24 degrees. And our infrastructure really Really just can't cope once those temperatures creep into mid to high 30s. No, I mean, that is, of course, a source of embarrassment. As I say, you know, going just a few hours away to Strasbourg, I don't remember roads melting or trains not running or, you know, when these are very, very normal temperatures. And OK, we're not perhaps equipped to cope. But when it comes to saying to people, stay at home, you know, even for fit, healthy people, these are dangerous temperatures. Liz, I mean, my view is, and I repeat the point, it's a dry heat, humidity feels quite low in the air, and provided you're sensible, use sunscreen, wear a hat, drink some water, shouldn't people actually be outgoing for a few hours a day to enjoy this exceptional weather? Well, we do have, I mean, the science does show that if the temperature gets above about 27 degrees, then the mortality rate increases, not just in this country, but elsewhere as well. And I think it's just been sensible, hence the warnings that were in place, the red warning from the Met Office because of exceptionally, you know, unprecedented temperatures. As I say, we're likely to see records being broken tomorrow. Um, and then the heat health warning as well, because when we get to those temperatures to mid to high 30s, our bodies really struggle, not just with the daytime temperature, but nighttime temperature tonight. It's going to be an awfully sticky night tonight. Temperatures not getting below 20, mm. 22 degrees in places. We don't have air conditioning units here as they do on the continent. So we're really going to struggle tonight. The body will not be able to rest and recuperate before we go into another hot day. And that really puts stress on the vulnerable, the elderly, but even even the fit and well people, hence these warnings in place. No, I get it. You know, hot temperatures at night, no air con, not much fun. Liz, a final thought. Um, a story out over the weekend about a solar flare uh, possibly affecting communication systems in Ireland. Uh, you know, I've watched other news channels where uh, commentators, not even scientists, commentators have been telling us that this, of course, is all an inevitable part of climate change caused by mankind. Uh, could it be that things like the sun do have an influence on temperature too? 
Well, the sun obviously drives our energy system, so it's there for us every day. But actually, if you look at the trend of solar, uh, solar variation, solar flares over the last 100 years or so, there's nothing there to show that they've led to the increased global temperatures that we've seen. The only evidence that we really have that shows that global temperatures have risen by the amount they have is the greenhouse gas emissions that we as humans have put in the atmosphere. It really is down to human climate change. OK, Professor Bentley, thank you very much indeed for joining us this evening. And by the way, I'm not trying to present to any of you that I'm a meteorologist, but I do just mention that there has been this solar flare threat over the last few days. The late, great Sir Patrick Moore, well known for the sky at night and many other things. And I asked him a few years ago about climate change. He said, look, Nigel, it's impossible to believe with the numbers of us living on the planet, we are not having some impact on the environment. But he said to me, I think what the sun does and sun sunspot activity is likely to be even more important. Now, one thing I noticed today were shots of train stations and, of course, people being told only travel if it's essential. It's another excuse to work from home. I've no doubt Whitehall behind me is absolutely delighted. Well, Amanda Lennon is an HR consultant and employment lawyer. Is working from home now almost becoming a right? It's not a right, not yet. Um, no, but are we moving in that direction? I think we, I think employees are now in a stronger position to uh, negotiate working from home on a more permanent basis, um, and COVID has driven that really, because previously uh, a lot of employers operated five day a week in in the office and almost you had to you had to prove why you should be able to work from home. Now COVID has taught us that people can be productive working from home and so employers um, are now having to look at hybrid working policies. Um, well, is that because they're scared of their employees, perhaps? I mean, the productivity argument, I mean, come on, Amanda, the truth of it is, you know, you work from home and the doorbell rings because it's the Amazon delivery or the neighbour's got music on loud or it's, you know, perhaps hotter at home where you haven't got air conditioning yeah. compared to an office where maybe you do have air conditioning. I, mean, I just don't buy this productivity argument. Is there any sensible research that's been done on this? Well, um, I'm a case in point. I work predominantly from home. I'm a working mum with three children. Um, I work much longer hours at home than I ever did in an office. Um, well, with all those distractions, I'm not surprised. But answering the door takes a few seconds. Well, what about um, having three kids around the place? How do you work with three kids around the school. place? They're at school okay. or they're in childcare, so it doesn't affect my job. Um, that's not to say there might not be instances where people are um, using it as an opportunity to do other things, but I think on the whole, um, I don't know of any research as such yet, but certainly in my situation, I'm able to work from home successfully. And I think employers are, you hear this, this phrase, the war on talent, employers are now having to look at how they can keep the, the right people that they want to for their business. And this is an example of where employees are now able to say, I'd love to do this job, but I need more flexibility. And that includes working well, from home to an extent. There may be jobs like being a, being a computer programmer, you know, where you work on your own and maybe you've got a set of headphones on and you've got a specific task to do and you don't need social interaction yeah. to do it. But in most things in life, great new ideas happen because we're with each other. We bounce ideas off each other. In fact, certainly in my working life, perhaps I'm the exception, 
sometimes even better ideas come on a Thursday night after work when you go out for a social <laughs> drink and sometimes they wow, that's a great idea. And for young people, I mean, work, for, work from home surely is catastrophic for ambitious young people who physically need to be with others to learn. I, I would agree with you on that. I think the younger people who are starting out in their careers um, mm. need more interaction face-to-face -face than people who have maybe developed their careers and know how to build relationships, and not necessarily face-to-face. -face. So I spend a lot of time on Zoom calls having to build those relationships. You have to work extra hard in order to do that. But um, for the people starting out in their careers, they really benefit from from face-to-face -face interaction and I see that in workplaces that that I go that I go and work at if I'm a foreign investor and I'm thinking about investing in the UK and the pounds quite cheap so it's a good time if I've got dollars or, or, or some other currencies it's quite a good time to invest in the UK am I gonna look at the growth of this work from home culture as being a positive or a negative in terms of putting my money in I think um from a, a property perspective perhaps it's a negative because there are lots of empty buildings now yep. um, all around um, I think from uh, personally from a productivity perspective uh, there is still a lot of opportunity people are working harder when they're working from home at least in my experience um, and the fact that we now have a mix of working models and it's not just rigid you must come to the office five days a week I think can only be good for morale and engagement and that discretionary effort that's so key in getting people to stay um, working for their employer well Amanda Lennon you put a very convincing case you haven't yet convinced me <laughs> okay, but you put a enough. convincing that's because <laughs> I'm old school and I think people should turn up for work on time dress properly uh, and I have an old-fashioned view of it and I think that's more productive but it depends I accept what job you do a couple of thoughts about today a couple of what the Farage is about today trans rights have been much talked about in this conservative leadership debate of course it's dogged horribly Penny Mordaunt's campaign. Little story from New Jersey in the USA where a transgender prisoner in a prison in New Jersey has now managed to get not one but two fellow female inmates pregnant uh, when talking um, about this issue. Um, the prisoner, the transgender prisoner, said, I don't know what it's like to live as a man and I refuse to ever revert back to such habits or behaviour. I would have thought in this instance that that perhaps ought to be questioned, but there we are. And finally in this section, what the Farage. Prince Harry has been to the United Nations today. Goodness only knows why they invite him. Uh, but he's been speaking, he's been laying in to the decision by the Supreme Court in the USA to make abortion rights something decided at state level and by voters, as opposed to it being part of federal law. Uh, and he's also talked about the attack on democracy in the world, which I think he and his wife mean any candidate they don't like and support is anti-democratic. But just to cap the lot, to an empty room at the UN, I'm pleased to say, Prince Harry has been talking about poverty in Africa. A man who's never actually had to do a day's work in his life, who travels around the world in a private jet, who's got a big advance from Netflix, and he is now a czar on poverty in Africa. Isn't that just marvellous? Across England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. This is GB News.
Well, big drama's about to take place in Westminster in exactly 20 minutes' time. Uh, but there is a moment, I think, to reflect on what Professor Matthew Goodwin was talking about just half an hour ago. This attitude survey, this showing that all this, oh, we think all these old comedy programmes are dreadful and disgraceful and the past is awful, is not something the general public support. Before I introduce my Talking Pints guest, here is a clip of her in action in one of those comedy shows. That is the one that fancies me. Who is to blame him? You have a quality that is irresistible. You too. <laughs> The moment I saw you, my lips angered for your lips. Well, uh, practice on this. I am rather busy. Boss, that was Mimi LeBanc, better known in the real world as Sue Hodge. Welcome to Talking Pints, Sue. Great to see you. Oh, Nigel, you nutty boy. <laughs> Cheers. Oh, it's still there. I could have, could have blush at a moment. Ooh. Amazing. I mean, hello, hello. It was when it first came on the televisions and I watched it. I loved it. And you kind of came into it a few years in. It was this new injection. This pocket dynamo. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> but it led to even more complications in Renee's life, didn't it? <laughs> I know, she was sort of, you know, fearless, wasn't she? A bit like me, really. Um, shortened to the point. Uh, You've done lots of things at British comedy. I Prior have indeed. That. I have indeed. I mean, I started, um, I was only 14 uh, when I started with the Dick Emery show, and my first pantomime was with uh, dear old Charles Hawtrey. The carry on. The carry on. Yes, and a yeah. very, very particular. British sense of humour, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, the carry-on films, I mean, they're all classics, aren't they? I know they get a bit of a, a you know, a, a ribbing now, but, um, well, what doesn't? You know, we get to a stage where we're a little bit frightened to do or say anything, aren't we? Well, and it's very interesting that, you, that you're here today and you saw this polling that, that Professor Goodwin produced yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that asked specifically about Dad's Army and It yes. Ain't Half Hot Mum because... They were the two programmes mentioned in Penny Morden's book. But it equally could have been a low, a low. Now, I was, and I'll tell you this, I was, in 2015, as the general election approached, asked what British comedy shows I liked, and a low, a low was on my list. I love it, because it takes the mickey out of absolutely everybody. Without fear or favour. Um, and I was really, really laughed at by, you know, the establishment here. It just, sh it just showed but that I, mean, I was I mean, the French were randy, the Germans were kinky, the English... <laughs> the English were stupid, weren't they? I mean, who could possibly take offence at... When, when, the, when the, the Germans had to speak English sometimes and all they went was fa 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 cup of tea. You know, I mean, oh, crumbs, it was tongue-in-cheek, wasn't it? So you're it? not ashamed of being in the lower I'm ashamed. I'm so proud of it. I'm so proud of it. And, and, um, it appears that Channel 5's not ashamed of it. We've just made a documentary. It's not out yet, but it will be out later this year. So I've got a whole new fan base. I've got young children, you know, now, the next generation around, and it's still shown 95 countries worldwide. When you've had a career, as you've had from a young age, long career, is it a good thing or a bad thing that you become so well-known for that one role? Well, I mean, it does um, limit you after that. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I will never, ever be thought of as anybody but 
Mimi LeBonk. Yeah. I mean, you know, but 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 I've done so much work because of it as well. I've done so much charitable work, um, you know, uh, been involved with Jubilee, uh, yeah. veterans. I'm going off to the Isle of Wight in a couple of weeks and I'm opening a veterans hub over there. So um, it's uh, and, I, and I love all that. You know, the people who well, that's the reason we're still here, because they fought the wars they did. You know, so I'm very proud to actually be part of where I can go and give something back. I mean, the fabulous public here gave us so much, so much support with the programme. You were loved, like weren't you? The cast we was loved. We were loved. We still are. Yeah. And we still are. And the ones on the left, bless them, there's a few of us. And we're still very, very good friends. And we, do, as I say, we do lots of conventions. We raise a lot of money. And yet the BBC wouldn't commission that today, would they? They would not. They would not. But they, they, they can't. They couldn't possibly do that now. I mean, it, it's, it's a shame, but it, I tell you what, it's never going to go away. Can we reverse all this political correctness, do you think? No, I don't think we can. No? No, I think it's gone too, like, too, too, too far now. But all we can do is hang on to the memories that we have, and that's still memorable now. I mean, I've, I've written a book. I was asked to write the book, so yeah. I, I did. Um, it's still going on. My life is still very much a low alone. There ain't a lot of goodbye, goodbye there. <laughs> well, I'm pleased to hear it. And you've managed. You live in Lincoln these days. And, I do. And, and we were up in Lincoln the other week but you were away and we missed yep, you yep. but I mean how is it I don't understand I'm really really confused Sue I mean you must have seen you've come to the red zone today yep. um, there's a risk to life out there on London streets I mean how on earth did you get here because I've got a brain and I can say, well, look, the trains won't be running, this one. So if I want to do Nigel Farage's show, which I do, um, I'm going to go down the night before, and I don't care where I stay, but I'm going to be on that show because I want to. <laughs> so you don't like being told what to do by government? Mm, no, never have, never have. And I don't like the scaremongering and all that silly nonsense. I've, I've been listening to you, uh, yeah. your programme earlier. And, I mean, for goodness sake, yes, it's hot. I know it's hot. But I'm not completely dumb. I know, um, thank you for the drink. I know I've got to drink lots. <laughs> well, well I, think they may, I think they may be water, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, 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 but this is a nanny state, isn't it, Sue? I'm afraid it is. I mean, I come from um, a background of my mother when I'd say to her, I'm cold, and she'd go, here you go. As a sweater, put that on. Um, that that's where, how we were brought up. And Essex was where you grew up. Yeah? And Essex was where I grew up. Yeah. My father died when I was fifteen. My mother brought me up virtually single-handed. It wasn't easy, but uh, hey, we came through all right. And why acting? Why comedy? Why? What? Well, pushed you, what, what has it pushed you into all that? Um, it's what I've always wanted to do. Um, a lovely actor. Um, um, J Jimmy actually said to me, Sue, he said, uh, I worked with him and he said, uh, your forte is going to be comedy, I can see that. And I said to mummy, you know, uh, this is what I wanted to do. And she said, well, it's not going to be easy, Sue's, you know, with no, no daddy and et cetera, et cetera. She said, but if it's what you really mm. want, I will support you 150. But I tell you now, don't you muck this up. It ain't a rehearsal, um, she said, because there's not going to be any going back. If this is your choice. Yeah, this is the one lesson that we learn from all... I've been doing this now for a year. 
from the Talking Pints guests that come in from all different walks of life, you know, many of whom have had difficult starts, mm -hmm. overcome adversity, and the one big lesson from Talking Pints is follow your dreams. If there's something you need, want to do in life, you need to do in life, get out there and do it. The world it. is your oyster. Go and get it. Yeah. Now, tell me about this book, please. Well, this book, I mean, it's actually... I did... I, I actually wrote this book a couple of years back now, and I self-published it, but I got um, a lovely Austin Macaulay contract um, that just came out. So this book, yeah. uh, they are on sale now, yeah. but this one is not. This is for you, Nigel. Ah, to Nigel. Thank you for having me on my show. Oh, Sue, there we are. There it is. This book is out there. It can be purchased. Mimi's Memoirs. Hello, hello. A magnificent picture on the front of the cast. Um, and this book's for sale. And a foreword by Richard E. Grant, which is oh, rather nice. I know nice. my old friend Richard. Bless his heart. That's rather nice. And you're, you're also still touring and travelling and doing yes, things. Yes, I'm still out with uh, Best of British Comedy with uh, Jeff Holland, with my producer, um, Chris Gidney, later in the year. I'm directing Chris Gidney's Panto. I'll be at Haverhill. I'm starring in that. And I have to just say, in case we suddenly get cut off, Nigel, when Mimi heard that I was giving you that book, she said, well, I want to give him something as well. So um, Mimi gave me this. Um, it, she said, be careful, because it's still wet. But actually, it looks a bit limp and droopy to me. But I don't know why she wanted me to give you this no. wet celery. But well, hopefully we could do better than that. Well, but, but the wet celery did feature in a low low, did it not, well, with one of the German officers? Well, I, I thought you might know about it. I personally And don't a flying helmet would be needed as well, wouldn't and, it? And, and possibly an egg whisk, if you have. Ah, I... Don't know whether we get short notice to manage with the egg whisk. And when you worked on this, and clearly you're still living it, as you say, and you, you, you're going to live it for a long, long time to come, there were some pretty good other characters in that, weren't there? They were. I mean, this was uh, amazing. David Croft and Jeremy Lloyd, I mean, they just had... Uh, it was in the casting. They cast the most odd components, and somehow when you put all those components together, they would just seem to fit. I mean, Gordon Kay and Carmen mm. Silvera. I mean, I come from um, a sort of Shakespearean background, um, repertory theatre, so I was used to having a leading man and a leading lady, and that's what they stood for to me. And then we were all these cogs, and every cog was was valid. I mean, you know, the brilliant um, Arthur Bostrom with, you know, Crabtree and Guy Siner. I mean, that character of Lieutenant Gruber, he was so yeah. superb. <laughs> and of course, I've got my best friend. She's still my bestie. Vicoir, Vicoir, Vicky Michelle. Yes, who I've met before. Lovely, yeah. delightful and she's, lady. She's yeah. gorgeous, gorgeous. And we're praying for her sister at the moment, who's not too well. And, um, and Herr Flick and Helga, I meet. Uh, magnificent. Magnificent. Well, you may be, you may be Sue Hodge, but you're Mimi LeBlanc to me, and thank you for joining me on Talking Pints. Bit of pleasure. Thank you, Nigel. Thank you so God much. bless you. We have got time for a couple of Barrage to Farage questions. You have sent these in. I have not seen them as yet. One viewer asks, we are constantly seeing comedy shows cancelled 
or change to include trigger warnings? Are we killing comedy and artistic freedom in this country? I think Sue is rather better placed to answer that question than me. Are we killing innovation? Are we killing... Well, we seem to be trying to. I mean, we're trying our best and our utmost to, you know, to keep it going. I mean, you know, um, Ricky Gervais and people like that. I mean, he, he's amazing. He just tells yeah. you the way... Isn't the he way doing well? He, I know. So I think there's a fight back begun. <laughs> Come on then, so, Freddie. Yeah, you're the one on, for it. Absolutely. I'm up for it. Absolutely. Mick asks, do you think that the laws are applied evenly and fairly to everyone in the UK? Mick, the laws have never been applied evenly and fairly to everyone in the UK. But I can tell you one thing, through our judicial system that we've had evolving here since Magna Carta, yes, going back all that way, even though things aren't perfect here, they're a damn sight better than in most other countries in the world. And that is still the truth. John asks, how have you made the most of a lovely weather? Look at me. I've been outside 18 hours a day, first week off Last week, for the whole of this year, I did six months straight through on this programme, not missing a day. I was on the Kent coast. It was magnificent. I was out catching mackerel, barbecuing, drinking British beer, spending time with my children. What could be better? And when the weather's good here, there is absolutely nowhere better at all. I've got time, I think, for one more. Another viewer asks, do you think any of the contenders are better than Boris Johnson? In debate they would all have wiped the floor. Boris would have wiped the floor with all of them in that debate last night, there's no question. He had a massive majority. He was able to pick up, and, and, and he sort of inherited the work that had been done by many Brexiteers over many, many years. He had a magnificent opportunity, but he wasn't able to tell the truth. And it's a personal sadness for him. It's actually a bit of a tragedy for the Conservative Party, because I think they're on course to lose the next election. So please, please tell your kids and grandkids, if you get caught doing things that are wrong, don't hide, don't lie, just put your hands up, ask for forgiveness, and in a small-c Christian country, you will be forgiven and you can continue. And Boris, sadly, at Eton, didn't learn that lesson. Now, having talked so much about it, let's have a look at the weather forecast for tomorrow. Hello, it's Aidan McKibben here from the Met Office. It's been a very hot start to the week and it's going to get even hotter. Tuesday marks the peak of this extremely hot spell. Red warning in force because these temperatures are unprecedented, record-breaking for the UK and we're simply not adapted to this kind of heat, both by day and by night. The hot air extending across the whole of the country, which means that overnight temperatures won't dip very far at all. Even though there'll be clear spells for many, there'll be a few showers for the northwest of Scotland, some patchy cloud elsewhere, but otherwise clear skies and temperatures in some spots holding up in the mid-20s, and if that happens, it'll be the warmest night on record. So we start off Tuesday already with temperatures in the 20s and quite quickly with widespread sunny skies, those temperatures will shoot up. I think in some places by 10am we'll already be in the mid-30s of Celsius and it's only going to get hotter. The heat intensifying across southeast Scotland into northeast England, central and eastern England with temperatures widely here, 38 to 40, perhaps 41 Celsius. Exceptionally high, unheard of temperatures. It is going to be cooler towards the southwest compared with Monday and Northern Ireland also seeing lower temperatures. The air is starting to cool down. We're going to see that big change on Tuesday night as a, an area of showers moves through and then those showers 
showers clearing the east for the start of Wednesday. Clear spells overnight, some wet weather pushing into western areas by the end of the night. But a more comfortable night for sleeping, although it won't be especially fresh. We're still looking at lows widely of 18 or 19 Celsius. A fine start for many on Wednesday, certainly a cooler start compared to recent mornings. Some showers around in the west first thing. Those will push east. And actually, it is another hot day in the east of England. Lincolnshire, East Anglia, 30 Celsius still possible. That could spark a few showers or thunderstorms by the afternoon. More typical weather for the UK on Thursday and Friday. Bright spells, showers, mid-20s at the highest. So the chairman of the 1922 committee, Sir Graham Brady, is due to give the results of this round of voting amongst Conservative MPs at 8 o'clock. And my guess is, I'm joined by Darren McCaffrey, our political editor, my guess is, Sir Graham, being who he is, it will be 8 o'clock on the bus. It will be punctual. He has not let us down at 10 8. He's a class act, isn't he? Uh, he is in many ways. And I know he gets criticised a lot uh, about the fact that he keeps everything to his chest and, you know, plays on the fact that he's always the only one and he never reveals it to anyone about the number of letters that have gone on in. But frankly, he's sustained it's, quite a long period of time. It's great theatre. And, and he's sustained his position, despite challenges, actually, for years and years and years. Yeah. So he's clearly doing something right. And he is, he is widely respected within the Conservative Party. But crucial, yes, we're going to get this uh, third round yeah. results in the next couple of minutes. Uh, of course, what we need to look out for is who's going to get knocked out primarily. Now, we all think be a massive shock if it's not Tom Tugan. I think it would be a massive shock to him, given the fact that earlier today... But he, he hasn't did. had a bad campaign. He's not had a bad campaign. I think, ultimately, at the end of the day, what did he want? He wanted to raise his profile. Has he done, done that? that? Undoubtedly, he took part in two national television, television debates. He's had a campaign that has, frankly, got him out into every TV studio and radio studio in this city. So, yes, he's definitely raised his profile to the point where you could seriously see him now actually ended up in in the cabinet in some form mm. or another, if mm. he wanted. Um, but he is almost certainly going to go out tonight. And the other big question, so that's a kind of given, yeah. I think. The big question is, where do Sawella Braverman's 27 MPs, after she dropped out last Thursday, where do they go to? And it would seem, I mean, you know, Marc Francois, you know, sent out a letter saying all ERG members should be supporting Liz Truss, which I looked at with incredulity. Yeah. But, but uh, Lord Frost is yeah. backing Liz Truss. Indeed, yeah, and, and she, she has captured the right. Now, whatever you think about Liz Truss, personality and her character and her maybe lack of charisma, she is putting forward a policy agenda for the Conservative on Party tax. on tax and on the economy that clearly a lot of Conservatives have been very frustrated with Boris Johnson about for the last two years. And there is that attempt, clearly, if you want to see tax cuts within the Conservative Party or within the government mm. in the months to come, she is your woman, if you like, and Rishi Sunak very much is not your man. So that's why she will do well. So I think we need to look at where those votes go to, but also where is Penny Morden? Has Penny stalled, essentially? Has our campaign come to a grinding halt? Or is she still maintaining a pretty strong lead against Liz Truss? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, let's be honest about this again, it looks like this is a battle for second place in relation to and, Rishi Sunak. Yes. We expect him and to be 358 in the eligible voters. I mean, Boris Johnson won't vote, he and one or two vote. others. Yeah. One, one I think we've had one or two not. abstentions in, that, in, the, in the recent ones. You're right, the Prime Minister is obviously not weighing in uh, to all of this. And, and, well, we say that, oh, oh, I think behind the scenes, Downing Street very much are, and they've made it clear mm. that Liz Truss is the trust. person they want to go. OK, we're going to Graham Brady. It's 8 o'clock on the button, as we expected. Uh -huh.
Across England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. This is GB News. Uh, 357 votes were cast out of a possible total of 358. I'll again read the name of the candidates and the number of votes cast uh, in alphabetical order. Uh, Badenoch, 58. Mordaunt, 82. Sunak, 115. Truss, 71. Tugendat, 31. So Tom Tugendat is eliminated from the election. The other candidates are able to go forward to a fourth ballot, which will take place tomorrow between 1 and 3 p.m., with the results announced at 4 p.m. Thank you very much. Oh, sorry, 12 till 2 tomorrow. 12 till 2. OK, well, they're the results. So Tom Tugana, as predicted, is out. Not huge other shifts of votes. We'll give you a full analysis of all of this. But first, let's go to Polly and get the news headlines. Nigel, thanks very much indeed. Well, the latest news stories away from politics today and flights leaving Luton Airport near London are back on after the heat caused problems with the runway at some point this afternoon. The airports had temporarily suspended arrivals and departures as workers attempted to uh, make a repair to the tarmac. And that comes as red extreme heat warnings were issued for millions of people across the UK. Parts of Suffolk saw the hottest day of the year so far, reaching 38.1 degrees. The heatwave has also closed schools today for some parts of the country for the next two days. And it's added pressure on the NHS. The Health Secretary, Steve Barclay, says contingency plans are in place. Across the NHS, extreme heat plans have been published each May, uh, the last one just a couple of months ago. So local trusts uh, manage the pressures themselves. We're coordinating that uh, across the ambulances. Additional resources have been put in place to surge more capacity to call handlers uh, to support uh, over the weekend and into this week. Uh, and we're closely monitoring the situation. And CABRA was an opportunity to look at those pressures across the system, just as we did at the weekend. Well, those sweltering temperatures that we've been talking about aren't just a problem here in the UK. They're a problem across Europe as well, where firefighters are battling blazes right across the continent. The hot and dry conditions are fueling wildfires right across Spain, France, Portugal and Greece. Thousands of firefighters are currently battling the blazes. In fact, experts are saying France is facing a heat apocalypse as more than 24,000 people search for emergency shelter. And the dangerous summer heat has police issuing fresh warnings after discovering the body of a 13-year-old boy in Northumberland. Robert Hattersley died after a day of swimming near the River Tyne yesterday. His family say he brought a smile to many people's faces. So back to politics now. Boris Johnson has been strongly defending his government ahead of a confidence vote in Parliament later tonight. The Prime Minister signed off as leader by listing what he felt had been his successes, including his record on Brexit, the government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic, and he reminded the House of his strong general election victory. Mr Speaker, this government has fought 
some of the hardest yards in modern political history. We've had to take some of the bleakest decisions since the war, and I believe that we got the big calls right. But the Labour leader, Sakir Starmer, fought back this afternoon, saying the Prime Minister had been forced out in disgrace. Britain deserves a fresh start with Labour. Free from those who got us stuck in the first place. Free from the chaotic Tory party. Free from those that propped up this Prime Minister for months and months. And here's the difference. Under my leadership, the Labour Party has changed. And we're ready to do the same for the country too. Sakir Starmer this afternoon. You're up to date on TV, online and on your radio via DAB+. You're with GB News and now it's back to Farage. So the results are in. What does it all mean? Those 27 votes from Suella Braverman, they've been reallocated. They've, of course, been reallocated. But, of course, there are also shifts between candidates that would have taken place as well. 357 Conservative MPs voted. Every single Conservative MP, apart from Boris Johnson, voted, which is pretty high. Darren, give us the scores on the doors. So, really fascinating. Uh, Rishi Sunak has done much better than I think anyone would have thought he'd done at this stage. Yeah. He was already in triple figures. He is now at 115. He's added 14 MPs. He is within touching distance of that magic number of 120, which guarantees he's in the final two, unless people renege later on in the process. Seems pretty unlikely. So, I think we can now say unless something ridiculous happens, Rishi Sunak will be in the final two. Penny Borden actually lost an MP. And it comes back to this point of, are we seeing her campaign stall? So, so fewer candidates, but her vote is down But our, our vote is down. So has Pete Penny happened? Was it actually last week? Liz Truss added seven, hmm. which actually, given the fact that Suella Braverman, the person whose MPs, if you like, were up for grabs, 27 of them, and that the ERG had backed her, as well. Adding seven MPs is not that impressive, no. I would suggest. She is on 71. Kemi Badnock, however, has added nine MPs, so more. So what I'm trying to say, ultimately, in the end, is that battle for second place is, frankly, as wide open as it was before this ballot took place. I mean, it is still entirely possible that one of those three women will end up in the final two. Really is... I mean, incredibly well, yeah. So one of those yeah. three will, will end up. Will, but will it's end a question, up. It's a question, a question of which one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, indeed. So, so Rishi Sunak will be very happy with that result yeah. tonight. Penny, I think, our campaign will be, will be slightly concerned that they've now stalled and are going somewhat backwards. But frankly, also, I think Liz Truss's team will be concerned. They are not piling on the number of MPs they should do. And if we get to tomorrow, because the question is, who's going to fall out tomorrow? So there's no, a long way to go, isn't there? There's a long way to go. Let's say Bad Knock does for like but you would assume and, and perhaps it's risky to assume anything in this mm -hmm. game but you would have thought two good heart supporters 
would be more inclined to towards Rishi and, and Penny, and Penny I would suggest that's the case, but, you know, frankly, frankly, you would have been inclined to say that Bravelman's, the former attorney of the current Attorney General's votes, would have gone to Liz Truss, and that's clearly not been the case tonight. Well, it's going to be tough to read. It is tough to read. Lucky we've got the head of PR at the Bookmakers Coral coming in <laughs> later on on the programme. So, and we've got the, just mind you, I think Graham Brady did say we've got the fourth round of this vote tomorrow afternoon between one and three the results at 4 p.m. Results at 4 p.m. Tomorrow. tomorrow. And then we go and through it all again. On Wednesday, uh, I think again it's late afternoon, we should get the final two. If it is tied, it's possible tied for second place. If it's tied, uh, they're going to have an immediate another ballot. What, another it will be sort of penalty shootout style. Almost, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's one of these strange things where this is incredibly important. Yeah. But also, if you're a political nerd, let's be honest about this, incredibly exciting too. We've not seen a race in the Conservative leadership as open as this no. for quite a long time. No. Darren, you're absolutely right. Fascinating. Thank you ever so much. Well, let's see how the respective camps uh, are viewing tonight's results. I'm joined in just a moment by Richard Holden MP. He's the Conservative Member of Parliament for North West Durham. Of course, we're talking there very much Red Wall. And interestingly, for a Red Waller, he is supporting Rishi Sunak. And I, I would have thought that the Richard Holden, uh, the you and the Rishi camp looking at these... I mean, there are no dramatic changes here, but... It's been quite a good result for Sunak, hasn't it? I think it's been a cracking result tonight. Genuinely, those swell of Braverman votes being redistributed. Uh, people were suspecting they'd go to Liz or mm. to Kemi en masse, but it's clear that Rishi's actually the winner tonight. And I was within touching distance of that. And I think that comes down to um, really good performance in the two debates over the weekend. I think people are also starting to think about that next Prime Minister, who they want to see, and what they're going to do for them. And uh, I think Rishi's in a, a really good place at the moment. I mean, he has one big advantage. He actually looks like he might be a prime minister. It was. Well, I always felt that with David Cameron. I always felt with David Cameron, even though I disagreed with almost everything he did. <laughs> I fought against him pretty hard, as you well know. Dude. But I always thought when David Cameron walked down the steps of an aeroplane at a foreign capital somewhere, he actually looked like a PM should. And there's no question that Sunak can carry himself well. I don't doubt that for a minute. It's also quite interesting, Richard, that he can speak for 60 seconds without referring three or four times to the... which has been, quite frankly, some of that has been almost comedy gold from some of the other candidates. So I guess all of that. But, you know, you're representing a red wall seat, um, cost of living, those issues impacting families in your constituency, far more than in many constituencies in Surrey or Cheshire sure. or wherever else we can talk about. And... Just the thought that here's a guy who is incredibly rich, which we shouldn't hold against him, but he is incredibly rich, uh, continued to hold a green card, which wasn't really very bright, whose wife has avoided paying millions in tax. You're going to struggle if he was to get through and become the next Prime Minister. Aren't you going to struggle on the doorsteps to, 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 to put that across to your constituents? Well, a couple of things on that, Nigel. I mean, Rishi came to my constituency quite recently, visited AA Flags in the run-up to the Platinum Jubilee, was there with the seamstresses, small business owner, easy-going nature, easily chat with the people, also understood, having had that 
that family background in working in a small business himself. So I think there's no. Well, he worked at Goldman Sachs. Well, he, but he worked uh, when he was younger at yeah. his family's small firm, you know. And then, like you, uh, he went and, and there's nothing wrong. And people yeah. are aspirational in no, places no, no, like no. North Australia I'm, as well. I'm, I'm not knocking success no. in any way at all, and don't think I am. But the point I'm making, and, uh, it, the, uh, the point I'm trying to make here, and fine, you go to a factory setting and, and, and do an event, and it's a relatively relatively antiseptic environment. It's not quite the same as the Working Man's Club, is it? Well, I would also say you go into the Working Man's Club and you listen to what people say. Listen to what people say about Rishi. During the pandemic, Rishi was the one who really stepped up with furlough for workers, and he also stepped up with grants and loans for lots of those small businesses, which wouldn't be there without that support. I think you could have also seen more recently during the Ukraine crisis. Um, he's one who's been there putting out the packages there, mostly targeted at lower earners, but also, when he can, targeting tax cuts at lower paid people in work. So when I think of my area, um, you've, he's, some. he's raised the national insurance threshold, so anybody under earning under £36,000 a year will be getting significantly yeah, but more a, cash. But, but a host of other taxes have gone up, Richard. Uh, well, I, I'm and, not, I'm, and what about the self but, but, but I'm not doubting that, but when he has been able to cut taxes, where, have they, where, where has he cut taxes? He's cut them on working people. He's also uh, targeted that 5p tax cut on fuel. Now, that's you know, fair enough to say, given the rising fuel prices, it's not you enough. Know, but when I he mean, has had, when he's had Bridget, spare capital, hang, hang on. I mean, I keep hearing this. You know, I, I've heard it from Boris <laughs> again, again, and again, and I'm now getting it from you. You know, the tax burden's the highest it's been since Clement Attlee was Prime Minister. Let's not delude ourselves no. about any of this. Um, for small businesses, for strivers, this guy's done nothing. That's not true. Apart, apart from threaten them. No, that's not true. I mean, I he, mean he literally threatened them during the pandemic. No, he raised... Well, I mean, he ra he, first of all, he got grants, a lot of them, especially in the hospitality sector. Secondly, they got loans, in, basically interest-free loans, a huge amount of small businesses did. And thirdly... No, anybody with a limited company working as a director was ineligible for loans. But the businesses were not eligible for loans at all. They might well, be they personally. Might get, they and, might get some so, relief. So they might, get, so, some, they might and, get some relief. And also, and, and also he raised the threshold at which uh, all business pay national insurance even more, even more important, even more important, short term, ultimately, your constituents and your voters are the ones that matter more than anything. And I get that and yeah. understand that. But, final thought on this. This electorate, you guys are going to put Richie through to the last two. I can see that. Fine. Are the 160,000 Conservative Party members going to vote for a Chancellor who is seen to have put up taxes? I think what they want is a Chancellor who's going to do the right long-term decisions for the country. The biggest concern I've had from my members, actually, is inflation over the last few weeks and the potential knock-on effect that has on interest rates. What people remember, my, my members, is they remember the early 90s when interest rates went through the roof and people lost their homes. What they want to see is somebody screwing down on inflation as quickly as possible, because if you give them tax cuts now, all you'll do is boost inflation, cause further the problems down the line and you get into a cycle. What they want to see is somebody who's got a proper long-term plan, deal with inflation well, he's now. He's overseen a big rise of inflation without ever noticing it, ever spotting it coming. Deal with inflation now and then... He never saw inflation coming, did he? Nigel, I think we both know that the, you know, the Russia's invasion of Ukraine... Had nothing to do with it. Had inflation, a huge amount. Inflation was 7% before that, before oh, well, that invasion we all, we, all, we all know that there's a lot of that was due because people could see it was about to happen. That's why the oil price was rising so significantly before that. Gas price well, quadrupled. I, I don't agree with that. I think a lot of it's monetary inflation. But we'll agree to disagree on that. Richard Holden, ready for Rishi, MP Absolutely. for North West Durham. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, for Nigel. joining me in the studio. <laughs> wow, there we are. There's some real passion in this campaign of that. There can be no doubt at all. Now, as Darren said, it was interesting that 
Liz Truss, who's got some big names coming in behind her. I thought the intervention of Lord Frost was particularly significant. I thought Samela Braverman, who was the most Eurosceptic of the candidates, of that there was no doubt at the early stage, I thought her rowing in behind Liz Truss was significant. And she's been sort of put up as being almost a standard bearer for the right of the Conservative Party, which, as I said earlier, for a former Lib Dem <laughs> activist, not as a kid, but as an adult, as somebody who was a Republican, uh, somebody who voted for three times for Mrs May's deal and a Remainer, I found it all very, very odd. But I've got to be honest with you, I thought Liz Truss would do better in this vote today, and yet I can see that Kemi Badnock on some of these cultural issues has made quite a big impression. Well, joining me is a cheerleader for Liz Trust, Marcus Fish, Conservative Member of Parliament for Yeovil. Hi. Good evening. Wasn't a great result, was it, for your Well, no, she's, she's made progress against Penny Morden went nowhere. And actually, Liz has done, done well. We are clo closing in, relative, in on that. In, re in, relative, yeah, in, re in relative that terms. That is the important race. Yeah, in yeah. relative yeah. terms, mm. Penny Morden's down one, mm -hmm. Liz Truss is up seven. I, I, I kind of get yeah. that. What I'm saying is, given the high-level backing that Liz Truss has had from a few people, and given the high yeah. profile she had in last night's debate. Yeah. Now, yeah. you can argue whether she did well or yeah. badly, but <laughs> I think she, she was, did well. But she was, well, yeah. I, I said we can argue about that, but it was high profile. Her, yeah. The clash with Sunak, yeah. the accusing him basically of being a posh boy who went to a private school, <laughs> um, him hitting back. I mean, that was the moment in a sense of that debate last night. Given all of that, you know, Kemi Badnock's vote has gone up more than Liz Truss's. That's the point I'm making. Well, only a couple. It, look, it's... it's no, uh, no, no, let's just no, do no, the numbers. No, no, you no. Know, her but, vote's up by nine. Look, there are all sorts of games that get played in these elections. I think it's slightly suspicious that Rishi's vote's suddenly gone up by that, that much. It makes you think there might be forces at work playing games with these numbers to try to game things the, the way they come through. The point is that Liz is in position now. She's the best candidate for us to co coalesce around. She's the one who'll take no nonsense from the civil service and actually get Brexit done properly and take advantage of all the opportunities. So, so yeah, rather that's like, why I'm, rather I'm like Mrs. Here. May. Rather like Mrs. No, May. No, no, not like Mrs. May. No, not at all. Who told no. us no, look, Brexit I, means Brexit I, as a Remainer. You will why, know why well is Liz Truss very hard I know, against I know, May, I, know, right? I know that. And I, I know, know that. Liz Truss. Why do you, she, because has she had this Damascene she conversion? She is the only candidate that's going to get it done. All of the others will be run by the civil service and will cave to them. She's the only one. She's, the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill is her baby. She absolutely believes in low taxes and regulatory reform, right. getting people excited well, about I, I investing in the I UK, working in the UK. Let's accept and that. And that's right? how we actually deliver opportunities let, for people throughout the me, country. Let me accept that. Yeah, yeah. Because time is what it is, <laughs> yes, and <sorry>. move on. <laughs> I mean, her performance in that first debate was uh, wooden, uh, disconnected, uh, and even in last night's debate, she's incapable of speaking to camera without reading notes. I mean, she certainly couldn't do this job without a full autocue. I mean, how on earth? And you know as well as I do hmm. that we're kind of in 
we kind of in almost presidential politics in this country. Most votes that are cast in general elections are cast for or against the party leaders. It is a sort of quasi-presidential system. She's such a bad performer. Even if you're right oh, no, I, about the I civil service, Liz, she's terrible. I know Liz well. She's actually uh, a very humorous, mischievous, uh, charismatic person. And I'd like to see her uh, get into people's front rooms, get people feeling like uh, they kind of know her because the Liz Truss that I know is a brilliant, is a brilliant well, why, for, performer for, for, and she's why determined wasn't as hell. She in, why wasn't she, she in these debates? Well, I thought she did very well last, last night. She, 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 she She's the only one who's actually proposing a program that's going to work. Marcus, and at the end did. of the day, delivery of things that matter to people is at the end of the day how we win this next election. We do not win it by making a mess of Brexit again. And I, I honestly think that all the other candidates would. Did Boris Johnson fail to complete Brexit properly? Well, there are, there's unfinished business. The situation <coughs> in Northern Ireland clearly is unfinished business. And that's incredibly important to, to both communities there in Northern Ireland that, that that is sorted out. And Liz is the one who is going to push it through. She, Liz is the one who is arguing for it she in sold the cabinet. The Rishi Sunak problem. was obstructing that. Rishi Sunak was obstructing the retained EU law bill. Rishi Sunak is not going to but do But Rishi Sunak, Brexit like Liz Truss, now, now apparently so. is this great reformer of EU law. No, well, no, no, no. Rishi really is not the great reformer of EU law. Liz is 100%. How do we, how do we, how do we know who to believe? Well, well because just watch what they've done in the cabinet over what the about, last six what or about, nine months. What about the One person's trade. been arguing for Marcus, it. One's been arguing what about, against what it. What about the cross-channel trade? Yeah. Liz Truss shows absolutely no willingness to confront the point about the ECHR and, no, our, inabil and our inability to control true. our borders. No willingness whatsoever. We've, no, 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 that, that isn't true. We've, we actually spent um, an hour with each of the candidates earlier this, this week and went through all of these issues. Liz Truss was easily the most impressive of all of our interviewees. Oh, um, I'm, I'm talking about ECHR. And, and the ECHR, she was very, very, very clear on. She, she will absolutely address the issues with the ECHR that are uh, making sure that at the moment we have this issue with the small boats. She's 100% on... Will she leave the ECHR? Well, that's a, whether you actually leave the whole thing. Ah, she, she's willing to... Like the old Tory to, argument about the EU. She she no, is, no, 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 we don't no, need no. to she leave, willing Nigel. To. We don't need she's to leave the to EU. That's we can what she said. We can she said she's willing to do yeah, it. She but if we can do it. things surgically in legislation to deal with the issues, it's worth examining that. Well, you know, but if yeah, I heard her say in public, she if, is I, willing if to I heard her say in public, yeah. you know, that leaving ECHR was yeah. on the table, I might no, no, slightly change my mind. She's, she, she's as strong as any of the candidates on dealing with the small Well, I think she, that may be a bit of wishful thinking, but Marcus, finally, is she going to come through this? Is she going to come to the last two? Yeah, I think she will. She's, she's in a good position. Anyone who is thinking about, sensibly, about how we actually get, get these things done, get the UK in a good state, more than a good state, get people really excited, as I said, about the prospects for the UK. She's the one with the plan and she's the one with the uh, so-and-sos to go and deliver. All right.
Well, Marcus Fish, MP, Conservative MP for Yeovil, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Bless and there's a lot of passion in this campaign, but what an amazing election, isn't it? When you have three electorates, you've got these guys and girls who'll vote for the last two. 160,000 Conservative Party members who'll choose the next Prime Minister, and then you, who will decide at the next general election whether that is the person that you want. Well, it is an extraordinary and confusing contest. In a moment, I'll be joined by the head of PR for the Bookmakers Coral. Let's see. Let's try and find out where's the smart money going. Maybe that's where the clue will be. Across England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. This is GB News. Well, we heard some very impassioned members of Parliament there, one bashing Rishi Sunak, one backing Rishi Sunak, one, of course, backing Liz Truss, and they were very, very passionate. I asked you the question earlier, who would you vote for? Paul says, I'm afraid I wouldn't vote for any of them that are left. I voted for Boris to lead this country until 2024 at the earliest. Maureen says, I want the last two to be Liz and Kemi. These two are the most real and level-headed. The others are just too slick, like salesmen in your face. Well, Rishi is certainly very slick. But that may not be a bad thing, who knows. Philip says, so far, the only person I see as a future PM is Kemi Badenoch. Yes, Philip, she's impressive in policy particularly, but without much experience. That, I think, is going to be a problem, although I must say she's done well in this round of voting today. Phil says, in my humble opinion, the party will rue the day when they let a bunch of disloyal egotists push Boris out. I'm a card-carrying Conservative and will be voting for none of them. Yeah, well, I have to say, I'm not particularly inspired by any of them. I do think that what Badenoch is talking about, what Badenoch is proposing, is really important. And I, I must say, that polling Professor Matthew Goodwin brought into us earlier on today was so refreshing, because it shows you, actually, it is much of mainstream media, many of the opinions that come out of central London that are completely out of touch with real, ordinary, decent people in this country. They just very rarely get the opportunity to express themselves. Now, it's confusing. And before I introduce David Stevens, who is head of PR at the Bookmakers Corals, um, David, um, I've got to give you a slight confession before we kick off, uh, which is that I have already got this contest completely and utterly wrong. Yes, a couple of months ago, I thought it was pretty obvious that we'd finish up with Nadim Zahawi challenging very strongly for the leadership of the Conservative Party. I thought Zahawi would come through. Um, and then, of course, we saw all sorts of stories, uh, allegations, none of them proven about money. He's out of the race. So, David Stevens, I've already had a bet. It was on Zahawi. I've done my conquers, so I can't make any predictions of any kind at all. And looking at this pattern of voting tonight, um, it's not an easy one. Tell me, where's the hot money? Where's the big money? Where's the smart money going in this contest at the moment? Good evening, Nigel. First of all, on behalf of bookmakers, and you don't have to disclose who you place your bet with, but a big thank you for your losing bet. They're always appreciated. <laughs> if it's any consolation, you are not the only person to have got this leadership race wrong so far. And you've used the word a couple of times, confused. 
Well, the betting is as confused or as lively, if you want to use another word. Let's go back to the beginning. When Boris announced he was stepping down, the two early frontrunners, according to the betting, were Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. Now, no surprise there, you might think. However, historically, that's not what you want to be. You don't want to be amongst the early favourites in this contest, uh, aside from, from Boris Johnson last time around. And historically, that looked as if it was going to be the case once again, because last week, it was all about Penny Morden. She was winning polls, she was getting glowing mm. reviews, mm. and she was backed all the way in to odds-on favouritism. At that point... It was one of those the bookmakers were thinking, well, you know, we're going to get stung here. We're going to be paying out on the Portsmouth MP. Over the weekend, just began to, to obviously slow down signs that all wasn't great in her camp. Over the weekend, Rishi Sunak regained favouritism. He's now odds-on favourite this afternoon, or this evening, I should say. 10 to 11 favourite, the former Chancellor. Liz Truss has re-emerged as his closest rival in the betting at 9 to 4. And the Portsmouth MP, Penny Morden, out to nine to two, Kemi Bade knocking there at fourteen to one. So we're as confused as you are, Nigel. If there's one thing I can say, I think we probably all agree on. Rishi Sunak is going to be taking his place in that final two. He's fifty to one on, one to fifty to do so. But who will he face? Well, the semi-final to use a sporting comparison looks between Miss uh, Liz Truss at four to seven, seven to four on and Penny Mordaunt 5-4 to four to make the final two. So uh, we heard from Darren earlier saying he's loving it as a, as a politics follower. Punters, political punters are loving it. But I'm going to make one safe prediction. It's a pretty short price. There are more twists and turns to come in this leadership race. Well, absolutely. And I remember in 2005 when David Davis and David Cameron were the last two and they, and they both went out and, and, and addressed party conference. And at that moment in time, bookmakers had stopped taking money on David Davis. So worry, worried were they about the amount to which they were going to get stung. Cameron gives one speech, the whole thing turns around and he wins. So, yeah, as you say, who's to know how this may turn? Another thought, final thought on all of this when it comes to betting. How big a market is political betting? It, I mean, it's a really big market for those that follow it. And that may sound a, a funny thing to say, but we always think that, that betting actually tells one of the most accurate predictions, particularly when it comes to big national votes, because people are asked something by a polling company. They might not quite tell the truth. They might play their cards close to the chest. If you're having a bet, like yourself, Nigel, you put your money on Nadim Zadawi because you thought that was what was going to happen. So we always think that the betting mm. is a really accurate guide. But as I say, on this particular occasion, there'll be a lot of Penny Mordaunt backers out there hoping she can make the sort of impact again. She needs to do it again for her backers. As I say, she was odds-on favourite. She's now 8-9-2. to nine to two. But you're absolutely right. David Davis was a red-hot favourite. He had his feet in number 10, okay. according to the betting. So, Rishi Sunak, you're not there just yet. <laughs> Absolutely. It is. Political betting is wildly unpredictable. But you know what? I can just say this to you, David, as a bookmaker. I'm still doing OK as a result of Brexit and Trump. I'm just gently giving a little bit back to you boys, but I'm hoping it won't last too long. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing that with us this evening. Well, there you go. It's a wild ride. It's difficult to predict. I still think. Personally, I still think Liz Truss will come through against Rishi Sunak. But what do I know? I've lost money on Nadeem Zahawi.
we do know is that thus far, the two debates that we've had, and there won't be any more, but those two debates that we saw on our screens, dominated by tax, dominated by these arguments, Rishi Sunak saying, I've acted responsibly, I looked after the country, and taxes can only come down when we're ready to do it. And if you cut taxes now, it will be inflationary. And indeed, we saw Richard Holden, MP for North West Durham, a few moments ago, repeating that argument. Then you got Liz Truss saying there's a recession coming. You've caused it by putting up taxes. Um, and I was the one in Cabinet that stood there and stood up and fought it. Uh, so it's been a lot of debate around tax, a lot of debate around personality, and quite right too, because the reason we're having this contest isn't so much on policy. Even though I disagree with Boris Johnson strongly on some things, I also gave him credit for the things that he did get right. And he did get some big things right. Actually, backing Brexit and at least getting some sort of deal over the line was right. But some things in, this, in these debates have been virtually completely and utterly ignored. They've simply not been talked about. And all of which makes me think that perhaps, just perhaps, the Conservative Party will pick a leader who's got no really firm views on two very, very major issues, uh, and perhaps that's going to leave them very exposed to the electorate. Well, one of them is energy. And there's been a bit of talk on cost of living, but almost no talk on energy. And Angela Knight, of course, former Conservative Member of Parliament, former Economic Secretary of the Treasury, former boss of Energy UK. And Angela, first things first, you've seen a few of these contests yes. over <laughs> the years. I mean, are we dealing with these MPs with the most fickle electorate in the world? Oh, well, that's what they said. And it certainly always feels like it. Uh, and right now, of course, the, the, the discussion that they are having, that is, the candidates are having, although it is portrayed to all of us, you know, through television or whatever, it's actually that discussion is a discussion for which they're trying to influence 300 or, or so yeah. votes, yeah. you see. So that is why there's this disconnect right now between what it is that they're talking about and what it is that the, the country wants them to talk about. But they're going to have to get on to that second part soon, whoever they are, actually. I've been looking for they for, the year, for years yeah. and years. Uh, what do you think about the calibre of the candidates? I, mean, I heard Liam Fox yesterday hmm. saying how the, the, the debate had shown how spoiled the Conservative Party was for talent. And I thought, well, Liam, I've agreed with many of things you said over the years, mm. but but not that. I mean, this is not very impressive, is it? It's, it's not doing very well, actually, for the party, I think. Um, uh, you know, if, if, you're, if you're watching it from outside and you're thinking um, not just who's going to, you know, get a few more votes than next, but who is going to be our next prime minister, and you're looking at them, you're not going to be overwhelmingly impressed that there's a whole ray of talent well, sitting in front of you. Worse, but isn't it worse than that? It isn't way. it worse than that? I mean, a week ago... I'm being nice about it. No, no I know you are. You've been quite loyal to the party, in a way. I am, because I, I remain a Conservative and well, I am I know, loyal to I the know. party. And actually, what I want them to do is just get on with this awful business, because I think it is pretty awful, get a selection uh, out to the members, get somebody in place, and then stop all the argument and get back together so and run the So do you think it was a mistake for Boris to go? 
I thought that it was getting on to be an inevitable. I don't yeah. think, again, that it was particularly the best way of doing it. And, and frankly, it's quite extraordinary. You know, every sort of 10 minutes, it seemed, yet another minister resigned. Yeah. And if you have a process which says 50-odd ministers have got to resign in order for you to be able to change the leader of the party, that doesn't quite look right either. Well, Nothing looks but then that again, right. The way Mrs. Thatcher went didn't look right. It, it probably never looks right, does it? No, I suppose not. And the Conservative Party's always been quite good at, at getting on with assassination, where it sees it, you know, essential to be. Better than Labour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You often well, duck it. Angela, I mean, these aren't even household names, most of them. No, well, Rishi Sunak has become a Apart household name. And um, I think has been rated quite well, looked at from mm. outside. I mean, taxes immensely important. I mean, what, what we'd all like to do is pay no tax of all the services that we want. Logic says you can't have that. You know, everybody accepts that we've just gone and spent a lot of money. And so having a sort of sensible, pragmatic way forward, it says this is the plan that's going to get us from A to B and then we can do C and D is kind of what is required. And, and, and an argument which says tax cuts now, yes, no, doesn't seem to be particularly edifying. And I have to say, Nigel, that if they did cut taxes right now, You've only got to look to see what's been happening to the, the pound against the dollar mm. over this last period of time, a short period of time, and you can see that the dollar will, uh, the pound will go down further against the dollar. What does that mean to you and me well, and everybody? It means your imports are going more to get expensive more expensive. Inflation goes higher. I get it. I get it. And one of the reasons the pound's going down, and one of the reasons the euro too is going down, yes. and the dollar is so strong, is they are self-sufficient in energy. And they you are. and I have discussed discussed this before Absolutely. and we're at one on this particular point uh, that we should be self-sufficient um, how is it with such a vital national strategic debate as self-sufficiency with the threat I mean rationing is now being openly talked about Absolutely. across the whole of the rest of Europe yeah. and here too Ger Germany's got its its plans in place I mean yep. Germany's yep. saying if Nord Stream 1 which is of course the mm. big pipeline gas pipeline to Russia doesn't reopen after it's uh, yep. shut down for maintenance or whatever yep. was was the reason for it um, you know they're gonna have to start turning off not just people but industry and I heard the German discussions on this and it does it's just an extreme example so of how Europe's got debating. itself into a mess. We had two TV debates and they haven't touched no it. mention of this. Mm. I, although today, of course, what has been published is a rather dense consultation document called, you know, the um, energy market or electricity market reform. And it's a, you know, it's a long document. I think I've got through about a third of it, and right. certainly... And it's your subject. And it's my subject, and I've sort of skipped to the bits that I was looking for. Has it actually grasped the problems with the existing uh, electricity market? Yes. Has it got some propositions for a way forward? Yes, it has. And what the way forward in this context means is that you sort out some of the problems which result in the wholesale market being so high, which is within our own control. But it's all going to take time. And actually, Nigel, I think, you know, you're, you're right to say, why aren't they talking about it? That, that should have been... This, these are the key, is a key topic that should have not just been argued well, about policy 10 years ago, but, is it but should have been all, operationalized. But is it that they're all committed to net zero? You see, Kelly well, Badenoch appeared to question net zero, yes. but then seemed to row back a little bit on it. Yes, I think she did. I, in fact, I, can I say, I think she's been a very impressive performer. I mean, she's... Uh, I, I, do I dare say... Would you I, vote for her? Do I, I was going to say, do I dare say that I don't think she's going to make it this time? But 
But, you know, I think we've seen a prime minister <laughs> and a leader in the making and there. And a thinker. And a thinker. And, uh, do you know, I can't remember the exact words she said about net zero, but she did say something to the effect that you can't just have a policy without working out how to get there. Mm. And, of course, that has been, you know, let's, let, let's, have, let's, let, let's make a net zero policy or let's, let's, let's not have any more petrol cars or diesel I cars know, or whatever. But, actually, this is a scientific, engineering, uh, expensive, detailed, long-drawn-out process of how you re-engineer our gas and our electricity markets. And, you know, we're, we need to get on with it. Angela, we really need to get on with as it As a now. loyal Conservative, former minister, can I ask you, do you see any prospect of the next Conservative leader grasping the energy nettle? I, do you know, I think I do, not least because there's going to be a whole load of us sort of saying, you must do it, you must do it, you must do it. I doubt that many of them, if any of them, have actually been absolutely up close and personal with what it is that they've got to do, why we are not energy sufficient, how we become energy sufficient, how we build our new nuclears. I mean, you know, I can mm. bang on like yeah, this yeah. forever, and yeah. I do apologise on yeah. that. And it, but it has now become the, it, it's, it's the poster child for the cost of living crisis. Okay. And because it is, then I do think that now it will actually get the attention well, that it deserves. I hope you're right because it needs to, Angela. I'll keep on trying. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Thank you for joining us. Thank, Thank you, you very much indeed. Now, the other subject that doesn't get a look in because it's much too difficult and can't be allowed at discussions at Notting Hill dinner parties is, of course, immigration, illegal immigration immigration or god forbid any discussion about echr which of course all decent minded proper nice lovely people that live in 4 million pound houses in central london agree that the echr is marvelous but there are some people out there they may well be online readers of the daily express it's quite possible david maddox the political editor is it not who so don't is. quite <laughs> take that view i want to come on to the channel crisis in particular mm. and immigration numbers but just firstly you are been a very strong conservative and brexit supporting newspaper a mm. very strong boris johnson supporting newspaper but what's Absolutely. done is done and i have to say i think many will now think what a pity he couldn't just tell the truth <clears throat> he would have wiped the floor with that lot last night in in debate i think don't you well uh, I, I wouldn't rule out a comeback at some point I have, I have really yeah a couple of years' time, you watch. I'm not so sure about yeah, that. It depends if he stays in the I UK. Think but, on, uh, I think he'll yeah. be on the American after dinner speaking. So, but yeah. who's to say? Who's to but say? what we're facing is what we're facing now. Mm. It's pretty unedifying stuff, David. It, uh, it's been quite depressing in places, actually. And to be frank, I'm not at all surprised that Sunak has come out as a clear leader because if you look at those two televised debates, he's the only one who really looked like a Prime Minister. That's yes, exactly what all. I said. I said that at the start of the programme. Yeah. He actually looks like a Prime he, Minister. He looks like a Prime Minister. Yeah. He sounds like a Prime Minister. I think the kind of attempts to suggest he's not a real Brexiteer have been a bit fake. And he didn't, I, I he actually, didn't publicly campaign for it. I didn't see him he, anywhere. He didn't, but the man put his career on the line for it. Uh, first time I met Rishi uh, was in Portcullis House. We had a cup of tea, and an hour before 
David Cameron, he was telling me this, David Cameron had called him to come over to Downing Street to sign the Remain Pledge, but mm. so many of them did, even though some of them said they were Leave supporters before, and he'd said, there's no point in me coming over because mm. I back Leave. And, you know, no, I, re I respect somebody who no, does that. He, no, he, he voted Leave. He's, 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 as a Chancellor, trying to make us a very European-style economy. But and, and the, actually, <laughs> I mean, well, indeed. But the other thing I'd say about that, I, I wonder if he wasn't very visible because of the Vote Leave operation. If you remember then, they were trying oh. to narrow it down to really a very small oh, number oh, of oh, people oh, at the oh, front. The Vote Leave operation was just a yeah. handful of people in the middle. It, it was, was all about Boris and Michael Gove. Yeah. Um, and the camp that I was in welcomed people from the Labour Party and all Indeed. over. It was a very different yes. campaign. Yes. David, who's going to win? Uh, well, Rishi's clearly going to the final two. I've got a feeling Liz Truss is in trouble. She's only picked up seven of the Brexiteer votes. She was, was, uh, she was, was anointed. I've just been writing this. She uh, was anointed by the ERG. 27 hardcore Brexiteer votes, and she picked up seven of them. I think Penny will be breathing a sigh of relief that she only lost one vote. Mm -hmm. uh, but the interesting thing, I think, in the next 24 hours is what happens with Kemi Badenoch support. Are some of us trust supporters now thinking she can't do it, she can't get over the line, maybe we should support Kemi? Do you know what? I would be over the moon if that <laughs> happened. I'd love to see it, even if she hasn't got any experience. I just don't believe that the Conservative Party have got the courage to do it. But let's wait and let's see. Let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. The members probably have. Absolutely, yes. David, immigration, it's barely been on the, it's barely registered on the radar. Then no one's discussing it. Kemi Badenoch has. Suella Braverman before mm. that did, and I did say, you know, I, I thought Braverman was setting the right agenda, but I knew she wouldn't get through. They are incapable of discussing the fact that legal immigration, legal, is going to go to mm. all-time highs. Incapable of discussing the fact the asylum backlog is now 125,000. Mm. you hear that at home? 125,000. Again in the English Channel today, another six boats crossed the English yeah. Channel today, another, I don't know what it'll be, 240 or whatever mm. it is, a couple of hundred come pretty much every day when mm. the weather's reasonable. Now, that's not as bad as it could have been. And I, there was a sort of report out by a few MPs today saying that nothing that had been done with Rwanda or the National Crime Agency would make a difference. Actually, I think credit where it's due. Mm. I, think, I think the National Crime Agency, that big arrest mm. of 39 operatives, hundreds of boats and engines, I think these numbers would have been a lot higher. No, I, I agree, and I think the Rwanda... They're still terrible. They're, they're still bad. But, and I think the Rwanda thing would have worked had it not been for the ECHR, the European Court of Human Rights. And, of course, there was only one candidate who had the courage to take that on, and that was Suella Braverman, uh, and shock horror, she was kept out of the, the later stages so where of where is Kimmy Badnock on this? I'm not quite sure where she is. Well, I, I'm not sure at all. And that's a, I mean, she's been brave on a couple of issues. Uh, so you mentioned the net zero. Uh, obviously, she and uh, Penny Mordaunt have that spat over the trans uh, stuff. Uh, but I, she hasn't really spoken out on the ECHR 
side no. of things. None of them have. Uh, well, it doesn't, it none doesn't, of the others are going to do it, know, But it doesn't help, does it? But, you know, the two channels which hosted the debates are essentially woke channels. I mean, sorry to, you know, I love the people at ITV and Channel 4, lovely people, but, but they have really? a left to... Really? Well, I haven't always yeah. been convinced but, that Channel yeah, 4... Yeah, well, yeah, there we they, are. They, they, you know, but they have a left-wing agenda. Yeah. They don't have... Uh, you know, that debate should have actually taken, here on, uh, taken place here on GB News, where actually the concerns of Conservatives the actual Conservative members and voters could, uh, would have actually been put to them. Because it wasn't just the channel crisis that wasn't put to them, it was the whole issue of bankrupting well, people and net well, zero and all the rest of it. Look at the audience. I mean, yeah. I mean, ITV chose, I thought Judy Etchum did pretty well with them, and yeah, she's yeah, good, yeah, and she's, she's good. good. Yeah. But I thought Channel 4, that audience, were they ordinary Conservative voters? Well, I mean, they were supposed to be people thinking about being Conservative voters. I'd, I'd be surprised if any of them were. It didn't look yeah, like it to so. me. So why won't they discuss this stuff? What are they scared of? Don't they realise that, that polling Professor Matthew Goodwin was, was putting mm. out earlier on the show, showing you that out in the country there are millions of people with simple, straightforward views on what it is to be British, what it means about you know, coming into yeah. this country illegally. What are they scared of, David? What, what, have I, what have I missed in all these years? Why can't we discuss these things? Well, uh, I, think, I think you have a point about the polite dinner parties. And, uh, you, it's, uh, and, of course, you know, the circles, these people move in. I mean, you know, none of these people actually have constituencies which are really affected by these issues. I mean, Kemi, for all her sort of positives, is in Saffron Walton. Yeah, quite. You know, I mean, the only one who potentially does is actually Penny Mordaunt down in Portsmouth, uh, Portsmouth uh, where I actually used to be political editor many years ago. And uh, certainly, I can tell you, actually, people in Portsmouth think like that, but they're worried about um, yeah. immigration issues and, and, and issues like that. Nothing's so. going to change, David, is no. it? Whoever wins, and it's going to be Rishi versus somebody, mm. it could be Kemi, I doubt it, but... but and I think it's, I still think Truss will probably do it, but I may be wrong. Uh, <coughs> who knows? Who knows? I, I would, I, well, like you, I lost my money on Zahawi. Because, oh, great. I'm so, delighted. I'm in the Zahawi. It's about, the end of the show approaches. Yeah. I'm feeling yeah. so much better. <laughs> yeah. That was two months ago, and uh, I, I realised I'd lost it as soon as he failed to resign when he went in yeah. and took the Chancellor's job. But, uh, you know, I st I would, I'm not putting money on again, but no. I would bet now on a Rishi. A, a penny runoff. I don't well, think Liz Truss well, has done enough. No, you may be right, but whichever it is, which, none of those three will address these issues, will they? No. No. Nothing changes. They're all globalists in the end. Are they going to lose the next election because of it? Uh, well, as I said to you last time when you asked me uh, uh, whether Boris yeah. would lose yeah. the next election, they're up against Keir Starmer. And I know that lots of Conservative MPs breathed a sigh of relief when, when, uh, when Beergate went Starmer's way because it meant that he didn't have to resign. <laughs> and they're quite happy about you that. You see, all these double games. David Maddox, thank you again for coming in and joining us. Thank you to all of you for joining me for this two-hour special. Back with you tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. We'll get the next round. Let's see where we go. One thing's for certain. Nobody can accurately predict any of this, but now I will leave you in the capable hands of Dan Wooten. Well, Nigel, what a show. I have been gripped for all of those two hours, and actually those results are fascinating. So the Tory leadership contest is in flux. The mordant momentum is at an end. 
But will it be Truss or Badenoch who take on Fishy Rishi in that final two? All of the analysis throughout the night, my superstar panel are in, Carol Malone, Benjamin Butterworth, and John Sargent. Uh, Lionel Shriver is gonna weigh in, but we're also covering the stories that the rest of the media isn't. Why is Gareth Southgate insisting England players need to be jabbed if they're gonna go to the World Cup? Neil Oliver on that, and the Telford grooming scandal with Tom Slater. Huge show ahead, 9 p.m. till 11 p.m. Don't go anywhere. Hello, it's Aidan McKibben here from the Met Office. It's been a very hot start to the week and it's going to get even hotter. Tuesday marks the peak of this extremely hot spell. Red warning in force because these temperatures are unprecedented, record-breaking for the UK and we're simply not adapted to this kind of heat, both by day and by night. The hot air extending across the whole of the country, which means that overnight temperatures won't dip very far at all. Even though there'll be clear spells for many, there'll be a few showers for the northwest of Scotland, some patchy cloud elsewhere, but otherwise clear skies and temperatures in some spots holding up in the mid-20s, and if that happens, it'll be the warmest night on record. So we start off Tuesday already with temperatures in the 20s and quite quickly with widespread sunny skies, those temperatures will shoot up. I think in some places by 10am we'll already be in the mid-30s of Celsius and it's only going to get hotter. The heat intensifying across southeast Scotland into northeast England, central and eastern England with temperatures widely here, 38 to 40, perhaps 41 Celsius. Exceptionally high, unheard of temperatures. It is going to be cooler towards the southwest compared with Monday and Northern Ireland also seeing lower temperatures. The air is starting to cool down. We're going to see that big change on Tuesday night as an area of showers moves through and then those showers clearing the east for the start of Wednesday. Clear spells overnight, some wet weather pushing into western areas by the end of the night but a more comfortable night for sleeping, although it won't be especially fresh. We're still looking at lows widely of 18 or 19 Celsius. A fine start for many on Wednesday, certainly a cooler start compared to recent mornings. Some showers around in the west first thing, those will push east. And actually it is another hot day in the east of England, Lincolnshire, East Anglia, 30 Celsius still possible. That could spark a few showers or thunderstorms by the afternoon. More typical weather for the UK on Thursday and Friday, bright spells, showers, mid-twenties at their highest.